And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, where you'll find news stories you won't find anywhere else about Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. With us, as always, is News Director Linda Stein. And Linda, my lovely bride, told me to tell you Lashana Tova. I don't know what oh. I just said, but I don't want to get in any trouble. So did I? Uh, Lashana I, Tova I, to her too. Okay. No, my my uh, uh, my lovely bride is a member of the tribe, as are are you. And we are going to be talking about uh, the current status of Jewish life here in the uh, greater Philadelphia area. And uh, I can't think, Linda, of a better guest to have than Jason Holtzman. He's the regional director of the Philadelphia Jewish, or excuse me, the Jewish Community Relations Council of the Jewish Federation of Greater Philadelphia. Jason, that's a lot of words. Did I get them in the right order? You got them in the right order. The short way to say it is JCRC of Jewish Federation of Greater Philadelphia. And so uh, before we get to uh, the broader issues, I want to ask about a specific news story that we're covering at uh, Delaware Valley Journal, which is an upcoming event at the University of Pennsylvania. UPenn is being very clear and adamant that they aren't actually sponsoring it. They're merely providing the hosting platform for it. Uh, And several of the speakers who are going to be speaking at this event have made really openly problematic statements. Roger Waters is a notorious anti-Israel critic who's compared Israel to the Third Reich. And there's a lot of use of this phrase, from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine shall be free. So for people who don't follow these uh, stories, uh, can you give us an overview? And what is problematic about statements like that one or statements that uh, other speakers have made that uh, Israel is an apartheid state? Michael, sure. what is problematic? <laughs> well, Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there. thank you for the question. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an important story for us to discuss. So. Uh, As you stated, uh, the University of Pennsylvania is hosting an event called the Palestine Rights Festival uh, next weekend from September 22nd to 24th, and that's Rights with a W. Uh, It's billed as a festival to celebrate Palestinian literature and culture, uh, which we believe is a commendable goal. But um, in looking at the festival, uh, we found out about this about a month ago, and once we found out about it, we noticed that... uh, It's not simply a festival uh, about Palestinian literature, but it's a festival that, as you said, features uh, multiple speakers that have a history of spreading nasty, inflammatory, anti-Zionist, anti-Israel rhetoric, uh, some engaging in anti-Semitism, like Roger Waters, who you mentioned, who was actually condemned by the State Department uh, a few months ago after he dressed up uh, in an SS uniform and shot a mock machine gun uh, at some of his concerts in Europe. So um, while we do understand the idea of having and we commend the idea of having a festival uh, to celebrate culture and literature, this is not what it is. Uh, And in addition to Roger Waters, uh, you have people there who have spoken in support of violence against Israel. People have called for Israel's destruction. Um, People who have celebrated the death uh, and killings of Israelis, innocent civilian Israelis. And so um, that that really should be intolerable. And while we understand Uh, The University of Pennsylvania has put out a statement, um, you know, distancing itself and uh, saying unequivocally that they are against anti-Semitism. We also understand that in line with academic freedom comes academic integrity and that hosting speakers uh, that have such a long track record of inflammatory, anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist rhetoric, um, it goes across the line. And um, it it leaves students on campus feeling unsafe and feeling insecure. 
Uh, and it makes much of our community feel um, up in arms and worried for what the future might hold when events like this are being tolerated. And Jason, why is it kind of a slap in the face that they're having it uh, right around the high holidays just before Yom Kippur begins? It will be the ending, the last day of it. Um, yeah, I think it, it is utterly offensive and it is um, a huge problem that the conference was scheduled uh, this time of year, specifically, as you said, um, during Shabbat Shuvah, uh, the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, and it leads into Erev Yom Kippur. Uh, we are happy that it's not happening on Yom Kippur, but it's still a major problem um, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a time called the Days of Awe. Um, this is a various, the most sacred time of year for us as Jews. Uh, it's a time of reflection. It's a time of looking into the future, thinking of the year ahead, uh, and praying to be inscribed in the in the book of life uh, in the year ahead. This is Rosh Hashanah uh, starting this evening. Uh, it is the Jewish New Year. Um, and so, you know, you look at an academic calendar and there's, you know, several, several months of the year, many months of the year, the majority of the year is not this time of year. So having scheduled a conference like this during this time of year um, when many Jewish students on campus are observing these holidays and want to be reflecting and thinking into the future uh, and atoning maybe and trying to ask for teshuvah, which is a concept of return, um, this becomes a distraction. And, um, you know, it can it can really make things tough on Jews uh, who are on campus. And in my opinion, I, I do believe that it was intentionally scheduled at this time to be as you said, a, a smack in the face against the Jewish community. Jason, I want to stick wow. a pin in the issue of the high holiday uh, uh, concept. I want to, because I want to get back to that from a cultural standpoint, but I'm going to stick with the uh, this event and the politics, because one of the arguments you hear from people who uh, make the case that Israel is an apartheid state, uh, members of Congress, uh, for example, like uh, Rashida Tlaib and uh, uh, Ilhan Omar, they argue, look, that has nothing to do with Judaism, nothing to do with religion. This is a foreign policy debate. It's just, it's just like calling Russia a whatever, you know, uh, a totalitarian empire because they're invading Ukraine and that people are twisting the argument into being anti-Semitic or having some uh, some element of bigotry. What's your answer to that argument? Um, look, I, I think that there's a real difference between being critical of Israeli policy and using words like apartheid to try to describe um, a conflict that's been going on for over 100 years between the Israelis and Palestinians. Apartheid, in my opinion, is something that was unique to South Africa. Um, it was a discriminatory practice. It was definitely separating um, the white population from the black population. And that's not the case in Israel. Um, in Israel, we're talking about a conflict uh, between two people, a conflict where, you know, the Palestinians have chosen to blow up buses, nightclubs, and attack civilians driving in their cars, uh, sitting, you know, having a drink at a bar. And so there really is and should be no comparison between, you know, the security measures that Israel is forced to take to try to secure its people and the practices of apartheid South Africa. And I think when words like apartheid are used, um, it sets off the Jewish community because anybody, Jewish or non-Jewish, the majority of people who go to Israel will see that there is no apartheid. I mean, Arab and Jewish citizens of Israel have the same rights. They ride on the same buses. They, you know, use the same places. They stay in the same hotels. I mean, there is no separation in the way that there was in apartheid South Africa. And so I think it's a lazy comparison. I think it's a false comparison. 
And um, I, I honestly think that, you know, if, if people want to have a real conversation about different policies that Israel has in place, I think most Jews will be open to that. But when you start using a word like apartheid, mm -hmm. you know, it, it shuts down conversation right. really quickly because once I hear that, I know that the person who I'm dealing with is really unreasonable and is only looking to make a quick attack uh, to try and right. use, to try to use a buzzword and to try to elicit emotion out of people. So another phrase, uh, Mark Lamont Hill is going to be at this event, uh, a former CNN uh, uh, contributor, whatever. Uh, and he uh, used the phrase uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And I've heard people say, well, what's wrong with that? We all like freedom. And you know, what, why is that a big deal? Why is that problematic? Could you explain to people who aren't familiar with the phrase why it raises issues? Yeah, firmly. See, this is this is what it all comes down to here. It's because when the United Nations General Assembly uh, voted in favor of what's called Resolution 181 in 1947, um, you know, forming an Arab state of Palestine and a Jewish state of Israel, um, you know, splitting the country in half, what that time was the former British Mandate of Palestine or Palestine under the Ottoman Empire or under many different empires over thousands of years. When that resolution was passed by the United Nations General Assembly, Jews accepted it. They, they accepted the idea of two states, but unfortunately, the Arabs rejected it. And here we are today, um, still, you know, many uh, Palestinians, definitely the Palestinian leadership, um, rejects the idea of a Jewish state. They don't consider Tel Aviv to be any different than a city in the West Bank. And um, they think the entire land is occupied. And it's the culture of rejection of the Jewish people and our ancestral connection to the land of Israel. And so when you use a phrase or when people use the phrase from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's a coded way of calling for the destruction of Israel and calling for, you know, no recognition of the Jewish ancestral connection to Israel. We know as Jews that, you know, Israel is our ancestral homeland. Our ancestors have been praying three times a day, mentioning Jerusalem in all of the prayers three times a day, calling for a return to Jerusalem, for rebuilding Jerusalem. Uh, when we pray, we pray to the east because we pray facing Jerusalem. I mean, it is it is a collective memory of the Jewish people and our connection to the land of Israel and to what today is the modern state of Israel. Well, Jason, is, is there some sort of argument or a clash um, between... Um, what what we're thinking of as anti-semitism and um american ideas of free speech and kind of like anything goes um look i i do think when when it comes to free speech there are limits on free speech speech that incites violence speech that incites people to go and attack um is hate speech and that needs to be limited and while the constitution is not so clear on these limits to free speech I do think institutions like the University of Pennsylvania should be responsible for limiting hate speech that might take place on their campus and having people there, like I said, who have celebrated, you know, Susan Abuhawa, for example, who you may be familiar with. She's an author. She's a journalist. I think she's also a professor at Penn. She has written glowingly on Twitter when uh, Israelis have been murdered. She's called them white colonizers and has called them human garbage and used that type of language. She's referred to Israel as a cancer and a tumor that needs to be removed. And that type of language and that type of speech is complete hate speech. And it doesn't belong in any type of real campus or discourse for any sort of you know civil people who wanna have a dialogue. That type of discourse is hateful. And anyone who celebrates violence or murder 
it's risky because it can incite real violence. And we're living in a time right now where anti-Semitism is really on the uptick, along with all other forms of hate. And having people like that spewing those views, it, like I said, it, it makes students on the campus feel in danger. It makes them feel unsafe. And it also makes our community in general surrounding Penn in Philadelphia and throughout greater Philadelphia feel the same way, very unsafe and shocked to know that a university is sanctioning an event with people like that who use that type of violent and nasty and rejectionist rhetoric. You had written an essay talking about being a grandson of Holocaust survivors. So I, I guess this really hits home for you, right? Yeah, this this is, um, you know, th these times that we're living in right now are really scary. I, I am a 3G, a third generation survivor. Uh, my grandfather was liberated at Auschwitz and my grandmother uh, spent many years of the war in a barn attic hiding with her family. Um, they chose to come to Philadelphia. Uh, they actually met before that in a DP camp, a displaced persons camp in Germany. They got married there. They gave birth to their first child there. And then they made their way to America and eventually to Philadelphia. And they built a family here and had a business here. And, you know, our family grew, thank God. But I don't think, you know, that they could have ever imagined that things like this would be going on uh, inside of our community. So it does feel very personal to me. And seeing anti-Semitism rising like it is and feeling like much of society um, is not paying attention to it or is not caring about it, it's utterly disturbing. Well, ladies in my Hadassah group have been talking about increasing anti-Semitism on campuses for years now. Um, they're saying, from what I've heard, Columbia is one of the worst. But um, it is an issue that's been going on for a while now. Oh, totally. I, I mean, I got my start in this type of work from when I was an activist on campus at Hofstra University. Um, and I was part of the uh, pro-Israel club and the Chabad and the Hillel on campus. And there was anti-Semitism happening then, and I was involved in national organizations and students uh, who were doing similar work on different campuses. And there were definitely incidents like this. Incidents like this have been happening for decades. But what we're seeing now is a major increase in these types of events uh, and in other really inflammatory anti-Semitic events. And not only is it happening on campuses, but it's happening throughout society in general. Um, the amount of reports that our JCRC has received in the past year um, is insane. And ADL National, last year in 2022, their annual audit of anti-Semitic incidents, they recorded the highest amount of incidents ever. Uh, wow. So these, these are really, um, you know, concerning times. And um, like I said, it, it does feel like much of society is either unaware or is apathetic uh, to the rise of anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism is not a Jewish issue. It's an issue that we need all of society to take a stand on and stand up against. And I believe the same thing is true with all other forms of hate. But as Jews, we're a very small minority. It may not feel like that in the Philadelphia area or in the tri-state area. Um, but, you know, Jews are about 0.2% of the world uh, and 1% of America. And we need people to stand up and speak out against anti-Semitism and to stand shoulder to shoulder with us in fighting anti-Semitism. Well, how is the community doing in the Philadelphia area? I, I think a lot of people are no longer members of synagogues. Um, well, yeah, I, I think that, you know, all religious institutions, uh, membership has been dropping, and that's definitely the truth uh, with synagogues, too. 
Um, with that said, I think Jewish life is flourishing uh, in the Philadelphia area, regardless of the anti-Semitism that is going on. There are, you know, several Jewish day schools. Um, there are Hebrew schools. There are many different Jewish agencies that operate in our city, um, providing services to Jewish people. We have a very active Jewish family and children's services. Um, so I, I think Jewish life is healthy. But while Jewish life is healthy right now, um, there is this, you know, major scourge of hate that's taking place against Jewish people. And that's all throughout the country. And I think a lot of that comes with, you know, the mainstreaming of conspiracy theories. Uh, conspiracies have become a big part of our society, unfortunately. And there have been several, you know, public incidents of people of great influence, whether it's Kanye West or Kyrie Irving uh, or the former president having, um, you know, uh, lunch or dinner last year uh, with Kanye West and with uh, neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes. Uh, so all those incidents, public incidents and people of influence, you know, sitting with uh, anti-Semites or actually spreading anti-Semitism themselves, it, it has created a tremendous uptick in anti-Semitism, unfortunately. Well, I'd like to talk about the uh, upcoming uh, holidays. I marry my, my lovely bride is Jewish. I uh, grew up in a redneck evangelical Christian family down in uh, South Carolina. So it's all new and fascinating to me. My biggest crisis, uh, Jason, is that my father-in-law just came down with COVID. And so I do not have access to brisket this Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm trying to figure where do I where do I complain to? Is there like a Moses complaint box or something that cannot be allowed? <laughs> so what why brisket? How did brisket be first of all, any day you can eat brisket is a good day. I would convert tomorrow for my mother-in-law's brisket, but why why brisket? That's a great question. Um you know, I think brisket is uh, a dish that the Ashkenazi Jewish community, and just so people know who are listening to this, uh, as Jews, uh, Ashkenazi Jews or European Jews that came from Eastern Europe, uh, I'm Ashkenazi myself, but there are also Sephardic Jews uh, who are originally from Spain uh, and Portugal. And then there are Mizrahi Jews uh, who come from the Middle East and North Africa. There are different customs, different foods, sort of different cultures. Uh, that go along uh, with all three all three uh, different you know types of Jews ethnically, and I think brisket is like a classic uh, Ashkenazi Jewish dish. I grew up my whole life uh, eating brisket on holidays with a really hearty gravy, uh, and along with brisket, there's you know kugel, uh, yes. other simis, all types of other uh, dishes that uh, you know Jews like to serve around holidays, whether it's Rosh Hashanah or it's Passover uh, or maybe Sukkot. Uh, for the Jews who observe that, brisket is like a, a staple holiday dish. It's very hearty, uh, and it comes from the old country. Uh, and then my wife asked me a question. I don't know how I got to be the theologian you know, in the family since I'm not actually Jewish. <laughs> she asked me, why would you have the joyous holiday of Rosh Hashanah first and then the, you know, the self-reflection holiday of Yom Kippur where you consider your mistakes, uh, evangelicals will call them sins, of the previous year, seek forgiveness and set forward. Wouldn't why why have the party first and then the the downer? Why not have the the downer first and then the party? That's a that's a very good question. Uh, and I'm I'm not a rabbi, so you know I may not be the right person to speak to this, but I can give you my own uh, personal perspective, okay. which is that you know the beginning of the year is the beginning of the year, and you know you you celebrate that first and. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is a different type of New Year than, you know, the way we celebrate New Year's here uh, in America and around the world on New Year's Eve. Rosh Hashanah, you know, you also spend uh, 
depending if you're in Israel or in America, you're in the diaspora somewhere, you spend one to two days in synagogue praying for, for very long services. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're asking for forgiveness. So it's not it's not a celebratory holiday in the way that a New Year's Eve is where you have a party, ah. you know, you're you're setting off fireworks. It's it's very much a solemn holiday, too. Um, people go, you know, before Rosh Hashanah starts, there's something called Slichot, uh, which uh, is people asking forgiveness, people reflecting on uh, the what what they did over the past year, uh, things they did wrong. And there's actually a really beautiful tradition uh, that happens on the afternoon of the first day of Rosh Hashanah called Tashlich, uh, when people throw crumbs or pieces of bread uh, into some flowing water. And those crumbs of pieces of bread are to symbolize their sins. It's getting mm -hmm. rid of the sins uh, leading up uh, to Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Uh, where you're asking forgiveness for the sins that you might have committed last year. So although there is, you know, although you don't fast on Rosh Hashanah, they are very festive meals, big meals. Uh, unlike Yom Kippur, where you're fasting, the holiday is solemn. Um, and there is still that, you know, idea of reflecting and thinking uh, about the year before and the things that, you know, might not have gone the way that you would have liked or things that you could have done better, mistakes or sins that you made. Um, so I think that's the, the holidays are very much connected to each other. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful time of year. I love these holidays. Um, and, you know, we see that most of uh, most Jews in the greater Philadelphia area uh, observe Rosh Hashanah in some way, shape or form, whether it's right. going to synagogue or sitting with their families and having a festive meal. Um, but it, it is a different type of New Year uh, than what we are used to in America. And that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast, which we're recording the morning of Friday. Uh, Rosh Hashanah begins tonight. Uh, and also to point out just how uh, you know problematic it is for many people that UPenn would be choosing to have this event, as you mentioned, during that, uh, that uh, key period on the Jewish uh, calendar. So we appreciate you uh, helping enlighten us about this, Jason. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your time and to uh, your wife and... Uh... To you, uh, Linda, uh, Shana Tova. I wish you Shana all tova. both, both uh, Shana Tova, Umetuka, a sweet and healthy new year. Happy new year. And uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, Sign up for our twice-a-week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.